0: It's Great Mondays Radio. I'm Josh Levine, your host, founder of Great Mondays. We help executives from hyper-growth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract, engage, and retain top talent. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, hang out for about 20 minutes, and I'll tell you how. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Great Monday's radio. Today I have Hadi Radwan. He is a multiple-time serial entrepreneur and founder and insure tech expert. Um, his current company is called Asteya. It is insurance in the U.S. market. So he's entering into this what is definitely a very hot, hot field, um, rapidly growing. Insurance is, is ready to be uh, revolutionized for sure. Um, so I'm excited to talk to him about his Fully remote operation and how he builds that culture in that, and get uh, gets the right people on board to do the right things. Uh, Hadi, welcome to Great Mondays Radio.
1: Hey Josh, how are you doing today? Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for staying up late. You're in London, um, but like you said, it's a it's a fully remote world, and everybody's WhatsApping you at all times of the day. So for good, good, bad, or otherwise, that's the that's the reality, right?
1: Indeed, indeed. I think technology has eliminated the boundaries of uh, privacy. <laughs> as long as someone has access to you, their expectations now is that it's no longer asynchronous. So they have your LinkedIn, they send you a message, they wait. If you don't respond, they say, oh, what's happening? Let me send them a WhatsApp message. <laughs> Let me send them a Slack message. So eventually, I think the um, what, what we call inbox zero is creeping into everyone everyone is now so anxious that they need to answer it's it's, uh, it's a formal play is
0: is this the future we were promised i was expecting uh i was expecting uh flying cars but now but really what we have is people uh messaging me at all times of the night exactly <laughs> uh, all right well you have built a company um called a a-s-t uh Eya, correct. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Check correct. That. All right, good. Aisteia, and Astea is um, pretty, pretty quickly growing. Um, how long have you? How long has this company been around? How many employees do you have? And tell us a little bit about your decision to make it entirely distributed, even though you're serving only the U.S. market.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we started in 2017. We stayed in stealth mode for a couple of years because as um, a company in a regulated environment, you need to make sure you're licensed and all the states that you want to sell, you need to get um, uh, accepted by certain carriers uh, so that you can sell their products. Yep. So there's, there's uh, a, a little bit of a ramp up and that's why you don't see a lot of insurtech surviving and growing and making sure they are uh, alive. You see a handful who which, which actually have raised Quite a lot of money, uh, but um, we've uh, we've decided not to go and uh, start without having all the uh, proper regulatory um, aspects in place. Uh, currently, we're around 60 people, and uh, we've been operational for the past three years in the mm-hmm. U.S. and almost all states
0: okay fantastic all right so you're going about it the right way the uh, the legal way so that's excellent and that's not always assumed <laughs> with a lot of startups so good on you for that um now you are you have uh employees around the world is that correct yes
1: so we're in three different continents and uh, your original question was how did we end up in, in a remote setting right so yeah. i think the 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 first uh, aspect of all of this is COVID, right? It forced us to reconsider uh, workspaces because originally your expectation is once you set up a company, people need to come to the office. And uh, that has originally made a lot of entrepreneurs select a city. So I want to be in San Francisco, in New York, in London. And then based on this, you are essentially limited to... um, the the talent pool that's in that city so when COVID came in uh, we had to rethink how uh, we hire how we manage people and that is actually good for us because i was a big proponent of remote working for for years but uh, i'm not the only one in the company and it's it's usually a Uh, team decision to decide if we do remote or non-remote. And with COVID, uh, we proved the hypothesis that you can find people that could work from home and deliver value to the customer, to the shareholder, and definitely to to their employees. So essentially, that was the starting point. And then Mm -hmm. the biggest advantage is now there's no more boundaries for talent. And I think we've seen companies who are uh, unicorns today who are managing this. Uh, on my podcast, the first 100, I've interviewed uh, uh, the co-founder of uh, Oyster, which is a company oh, yeah. that yeah, yeah, it, it gets you if you have a talent outside where your legal entity is uh, uh, registered, you can essentially hire that talent through them, and they're they're on your payroll. So, COVID has brought in different business models that supported remote uh working and then more importantly the big companies like microsoft salesforce uh, slack they uh, zoom which we are uh, on today has adapted very quickly and made it easy and accessible to create this uh uh, virtual meeting I, i would guess that was much harder before so you'd see a different pool of of companies uh, adapting much faster than the legacy companies like, uh, Webex, which was very hard to implement, very difficult. Yeah, Skype you have to wasn't at the, it
0: every time. Right. E-
1: exactly. Exactly. Skype wasn't what it was, uh, mm-hmm. now. So I think the tools and, uh, the, the different companies has made it easy to accept remote working.
0: I and I would, I would, um, venture to guess that um, we're still in the early days, I think we're going to see a lot of new tools that are going to make it even easier, because I don't feel like everything is as easy as being in the office. So creative collaborative work. So we use Miro. Um, There's also Mural. Those are great collaborative tools, bring some benefits to some of this work that we don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily have in the class, in the, in the, uh, in the office. Um, so, but I think there are still, there's still quite a bit out there that, and I think there we're going to see some tech uh, really come to fruition uh, and, and to serve customers like you, right? People that build these organizations completely distributed. So what does it take to be an employee at a fully distributed company? When you think about your employees and the best employees that you have, what are the qualities? Because I don't know that it's for everybody.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there, there are certain guiding principles that need to align between the employee and the employer in that case. So one, when you when you look for, uh, for a company to get hired and to, you do your research, right? You go in, you try to, to read their mission, their value statements. Uh, uh, you go to Glassdoor. You start reading around different, uh, uh, you know, aspects. And then there's the hiring process. For us, um, the value statements, for example, are overhyped. We do not try to, you know, display all of these different values that say hey, respect or, to your uh, uh, to your teammates. Uh, uh, communication, honesty, excellence. Right? Yeah, because I noticed because, they
0: weren't. I looked for them on your website, and I didn't see any.
1: Yeah, because you know you could you could put in a nice story, but even people who are just joining, it doesn't probably align with 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 their guiding principles from day one. They have to to integrate with the team. They have to believe in the company, which takes time. Doesn't happen from day one un- unless you're you're a founder or, or part of the founding team. So. When we when we interview people, we try to be consistent in our message, and we say what we believe in is uh, we need happy employees so that we can get happy customers, and then eventually we will be able to get happy investors. It's not the customer at the forefront of the company; it's the employee. and the, And the reason we do this is if you have a happy employee who's engaged, who's uh, developing and growing who's into his work then they can deliver value to the to the customer which would feel that uh yes that these people care and then they would generate repeat business and then that would translate into profits so the cycle is we, a lot of people say customer first we say employee first we try to do uh, a lot of things for for the employees so we have while our pay could be average, we have a lot of benefits and those benefits could you know make the employee uh, feel um, more accepted, more motivated, and then eventually they would be happy to contribute to to the customer and then the customer would definitely contribute to the investor. So that's essentially how we how we try to uh, look at uh, our our messaging to those that are coming in. So we say we value you. And here's the reason why we value you, right? Because you would value the customer and then the customer would value the the investor in diary. All
0: right. Well, so are you saying then that one of the attributes that you look for in an employee or in a potential candidate is if they're happy?
1: It's not the attribute. It's what we want the outcome to be so we want to get someone in with a skill set that you know ah, is contributing so it's your to your job yes to make them happy
0: to make them happy
1: yes exactly so that's that's uh, that's what we say we get you in we make you happy and then you make our customers happy and then the customers make our investors happy
0: <laughs> what about and i forgot the i forgotten the technical term um the phenomenon where a human um the uh, it's it's most popularly referred to with um, raises when you get raised, yeah. right? A raise. And so you get an extra, um, I don't know, 5,000 or 10,000 a year. So it's an extra 50 bucks a you know, a, a month or whatever it might be. And, but then you get used to it. And then you're like, like, I really use a raise, right? So it's like you, you elevate, you are, it is sort of a, glitch in our brain, the way that we work, right? You have to work really hard to appreciate what you have because you really always want to have more. And so when we think about the benefits or whatever yeah. it might be, then those people, you can they can be satisfied, right? You certainly don't want them suffering at the bottom of the pay scale. They want to be able to ser- you know, serve their need. But even with benefits, it's like, I just expect it. I'm just expecting these things now. So, how does um, how do you consider that phenomenon, or how do you counter for that? And are there other other tools or methods that you use to create a happy employee?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. So I, I think the way we try to nail this down is we try to be as data driven and scientific as 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 we can. We cannot great. nail it one hundred percent but we try to do that. So we have a career progression framework. So someone comes in, here's where you are in the career progression framework here, how you can move up the levels. And by the way, in each level, these are the ranges of salaries that you should expect. And that range would you know, be different between a performing person that's A versus B versus D. So they could at least essentially have a fair pay and they can compare themselves to where they are and the framers. So the expectations... Yeah, they have a
0: roadmap and they know where they can go.
1: Exactly. So the expectation is managed. So yes, you expect that you can get a raise, but if you don't get a raise, then here's why, right? Either because you haven't moved up or because the company is not performing well and let's say the shareholders decided not to distribute any bonus. These are like externalities, but the internal uh intrinsic uh, let's say decisions are in the framework so it's very scientific at least they know where they want to go from a to b to cd al- al- along their career the second part is we try to do uh OKRs, so objective key and results for everyone within uh the organization so we can uh, they can uh, know what to expect at the end of th- that year and then we say hey listen this is the expectation you didn't get here is it because of us? Is it because of you? So we do that post-mortem and we try we try to do it quarterly, although we failed a lot because it's it's a lot of work to get work. everyone yep. quarterly to uh, do the reviews unless you're a huge company with a team that is doing this full-time, right? And that's an additional cost for a startup. So we try to balance between what we can do and, and what we cannot do. But I think th- the core thing is at the beginning, we try to hire for performance. So we say, listen, this is not a family, it's a team. You come in, you're expected to contribute. You're sitting at the comfort of your home. We want you to uh, perform. Here's your metrics. Here's your, the tools you you have to use. And it's easy in a tech company to know if someone is working or not, right? Because you have peers that are doing either similar uh, jobs or similar tasks. So you can assess very easily if someone is is not performing and the reason we hire per, for performance is hire, if you hire for performance you eventually get someone who's let's say a uh, producing strong performance which translates to strong results within the organization which translates to strong achievements and now you have a high performing performing culture because now you ex- the expectation is that everyone is high performance, uh, they are treated equally, there's a career progression, and then we cut the weaklings out. So the weaklings usually leave on their own because they cannot keep up with everyone else. And that would create an, an environment that's similar. And I, I think, again, it's a lot of people might not agree with this, but we look for the Netflix way of building culture, which is we're a team, not a family. And in a team, if someone is not playing well, like in a basketball, they bench you, they put you on the bench, and then they cut you out if you're not performing. And I think it's fair when you say this upfront to someone coming in, rather than finding out that there is these, um, uh, let's say, a bad culture that People would backstab you and then suddenly they're trying to make you look uh, bad. So we try to, to tell people from the beginning, this is a remote environment. You're having some advantages, which is you see your family more, you're with them. There's less commute, so you're not wasting time on, on commute, but definitely there you need to perform.
0: How do you uh, assess for someone and you don't get hundred percent right, you just describe that. But what are you doing on the front end? When you're looking at candidates, when you're talking to folks, when you're doing interviews, how do you assess for a, for this performance oriented person? So there's two ways to look at. One
1: is I try to um, create standardized tests, which I share with everyone at the beginning. So my philosophy is a little bit different. I don't know if you've seen that when you apply to work, there is a gatekeeper. So you you send the CV to to an employee, uh, there's a gatekeeper. That gatekeeper is a little bit opinionated. So they look at your CV, they say, oh, it it might not fit the job description. So they either don't respond or they send you a decline. What I do when I do a job post is I do not decline anyone. Anyone that puts the job post, I give them a link, and that link has a test case, which gives me, um, if someone is a, like if they they pass that litmus test, which could be like a, I'm giving an example, could be a writing test, an IQ test, maybe a, uh, an industry expertise test, something like that. So I do a standardized test for the for the job I'm hiring for, and then I send it to any client, uh, any uh, employee who submits their CV. I do not judge the CV. I actually would look at the at the perf- per- person's results. Now, once that person goes and passes the litmus test, then I would interview them. And i would ask them okay your cv fits our profile your cv doesn't fit why and then we go into that personal um uh uh, interview and then from there i try to uh identify or map the values that we have to stories that uh, the the uh, candidate would tell me about so let's say i would say our values is you need to be scientific and by being scientific it means you build around metrics, you have to trust the data, you hypoth- uh, hypothesize, test, validate, iterate, you know, all, all the possible values around being scientific. And then I would ask them, give me a story or or an incident where you were scientific. And I try to dig more and more. So eventually I would be able to match our values to their values. And if they're there, then I think one is, we passed the, the litmus test of, people who are high performance, then we go through the personnel, and then I let them get uh, to interview other people within the organization. So I don't make the decision on my own. That would allow three things. One is uh, uh, making sure I'm not making uh let's say decision just because I like the person or I dislike the person. Fair the second bias. part yep. yeah the, the second part is when someone else within the, organiza- the, the organization meets them, then we also would see that cultural fit. did they click with that person did they not click with that person? And then finally we give that person the chance to see if they if they like working with us did they like me did they like the other team members? did they like the, the job task did they like the process? And if, if that's the case, then we've already de-risked a lot of the process uh, of hiring.
0: So at the beginning, you said your values weren't weren't that important. But what I think you're saying is uh, promoting or marketing those values um, to the world is not where you're going to emphasize that because you're using them specifically for vetting candidates, which I agree with, right? That's That is absolutely one of the powerful uses of values. So you're using them. You're just deciding that they're not in a traditional sense. Maybe you're not, maybe you're uh, agitating against sort of the traditional definition of value. Yeah,
1: yeah. We don't like to put them on the walls. Like it's something that either you have it or not, because what happens is when you put them out there, there's a lot of candidates who prepare for your values. So they beat the test. They know that this company values. The they, they, this company values uh, being scientific. So now I'll prepare stories around that. But when you're into interview and I'm sharing them, like we're speaking now informally, then when I put you on the spot, either you have it or you don't have it. You don't. You cannot fabricate a story from scratch. I mean, some people can, but generally, it 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 becomes more informal to to pick those up.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. And then, do you use those values? Um, to recognize, reward, and recognize your employees, or no?
1: I I try to reiterate them as much as possible. But if someone deviates, that's that's not a, the end of the way. Again, uh, the the way we've we've put them is they're they're things that are actionable. It's not like things that you do not uh, you just uh, have to remember them. Like one of them is make it simple and easy. Less is more streamline the process avoid rigid rules admit mistakes these are things that are under make things simple and easy so they're they're like we 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 value a lot people admitting to mistakes and failing fast yes. because that means you're actually learning as long as they're operational learning that's good that means you're trying uh, to get things done the problem becomes if you haven't learned and you're repeating them. This is where you actually cost the company more money because the first part is okay, because you're yeah. experimenting, you're gonna fail. That's a no-brainer, it's a startup. The second time, it's a problem.
0: How do you how do you um, demonstrate that making mistakes is okay? Because that's a big problem that a lot of organizations, a lot of employees and organizations and employees uh, have. Where they're like people are afraid to make mistakes what is it that you're doing you say we actually encourage that what does the encourage look like
1: i raise my hands i'm my first the first one to admit the mistake in front ah, of so modeling, other people modeling. yes 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 I'm, I'm not afraid to say that uh, i would say listen we've made a hiring mistake we made a strategic decision here here's what we've learned from it uh hopefully we can you know change. Hopefully we don't need to do that again. So that's the most important part. And we, if someone f- makes a mistake that actually is uh, detrimental, then we issue warnings, which is normal, right? You just need to inform people that it's okay to to make mistakes, but you have to admit it. You have to say, okay, I've raised my hand. I made a mistake. It's normal, but uh, I'm I'm owning it. I acknowledge it.
0: So the problem is really when they make a mistake, but don't voice it.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't admit the mistakes. They say, "Oh, right. it's someone else's. It's not me. It's them." Right? Yeah. The problem with this um, philosophy is that uh, there's there's always two people involved in the mistake. Now, the extent of who's liable for that can vary, right? But it's never one person's fault. It's always multiple people involved yeah. so you cannot blame the blame mentality is something that would kill culture
0: yes absolutely yeah ownership is a ownership of of work ownership of mistakes these are all things that are really really important to build a strong culture because then exactly. you do build that trust oh okay when they make a mistake there i'm not going to i'm going to be afraid if you're telling if you're saying telling everybody up oh, it's josh's fault then i'm not going to want to work with you and that's that's a real problem um, exactly. any final words of wisdom or pieces of advice, hard won wisdom, uh, for, for folks that are inside of a, of a, of a, of a highly or a hundred percent distributed organization. I mean, we did talk a lot about a really, a lot of really amazing things here. And, and I really, really appreciate it. I Learned a ton. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you're like, you know what, if I had to do it again, or this is what I've I've learned, what would you what would you advise? What's what's one thing that you've learned from your your years in uh, now your uh, couple of years doing this?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's very important that you model um, such a framework from someone who has done it before. So there's, I think, the first proponents of remote working were were the founders of Basecamp. And I, I interviewed one of the founders on, on my podcast and they they were big on remote from day one. They have a book on, on remote working. Yep. And I think if you want to start remote working and you don't know where to start, it's important that you model and get a mentorship. Could be virtual mentorship like a book so that you don't do the same mistakes someone else does. So that's the first thing. The second part is have frameworks in place, simple frameworks like, the hiring framework how do you deal with certain instances uh you have to be firm with, within within your decision making when it comes to remote because a lot of people you know they they like remote because it gives flexibility but then they the performance w- would suffer so you have to have as well a proper uh processes in place to make sure all of this and i think uh, make sure to get your operating principles written down so that eventually, every time you're doing um, a stand-up meetings or you're doing your quarterly operating ca- cadence, to always reiterate them so that they, people understand that uh, these are things not written on the wall. They're actually, actually actionable things. And they would notice eventually when you hire people that believe in those principles, they don't need to memorize them. It's actually built into them because this is what they believe And so now they would be seeing them all over the place. Every time I talk to you, Josh, if we both believe in the principle of uh, uh, be better tomorrow than you were yesterday, then I think it makes sense that this is a curious person. He's here to learn. He's always improving. If he makes mistakes, he's admitting them. He's taking those learnings to uh, help others and grow the organization. I think you would see them in the actions of, of your employees.
0: Right, 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 right. Amazing. That's, that's great. Um, It's uh, codifying, really getting it down and making sure everybody is aware of those. That is a big, big um, advantage for those folks that can do it. Hadi Radwan, I really appreciate it. Founder of Asteya, A-S-T-E-Y-A. Look for them on LinkedIn or asteya.world. He also has a, a podcast called uh how to build software for non-technical founders if you're interested in learning more about starting a company or you have with with uh that's built on technology and but you don't know the first thing about it this is this is what he's trying to do and i appreciate that trying to translate it for the rest of us Um, Hadi. it's been amazing thank you so much i've learned a ton from our conversation
1: Thank you, Josh, for having me. Have a great evening.
0: Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to radio.greatmondays.com. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today please rate and review great mondays radio on your podcast feed it really helps us reach more people if you want to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders subscribe to great mondays radio i'd love to connect with you find me on linkedin at aka josh levine on youtube at great mondays And you can always email me, josh at greatmondays.com. Find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations at greatmondays.com. I'm Josh Levine. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio.